So while preparing for uh, this sermon, I was reminded by the hardiness research studies done by the International Committee for the Study of Victimization. Uh, this international committee did a study and they looked at people who had suffered serious adversity, cancer patients, prisoners of wars, accident victims, people who had suffered trials and tribulations and survived. They found that people fell generally into three categories. Category one, those who were permanently dispirited by the event. Category two, those who got their life back to normal. We hear a lot of that. I can't wait till it gets back to normal. Category three, those who use the experience as a defining event that made them stronger. The title of my sermon today is Decisions Under Pressure. This is a part two of Decisions Under Pressure. We're going to be looking at the life of David. If I could have a subtitle, I would call it The Long View. Decisions Under Pressure, The Long View. You know, Jim Collins, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book. It was called Good to Great. And he said this about leaders. He said, leaders who come out stronger in the dark times all have one thing in common. He called it the Stockdale Paradox. Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking officer at the prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. Stockdale was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment. No set release date, no prisoner rights, no hope that he would ever see his family again. At one point, he beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor so that he would not be used in propaganda video as, as a well-treated prisoner. During an interview, they asked him, what was the type of person who did not survive? He said, that's easy, the optimist. The optimist, the interviewer said, the optimist? That makes no sense. He says, yeah, the optimist. The optimist would say that we would be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, oh, oh, you know what? We're gonna be out by Easter. Easter would come and Easter would go. Then they'd say, oh, no, no, we're gonna be out by Thanksgiving. Then Thanksgiving would, Thanksgiving would come, then Thanksgiving would go. Then Christmas would come around again, and they would die of a broken heart. What separates people, Stockdale said, is not the presence or absence of difficulty but how we deal with the inevitable difficulty of life. People who come out stronger exhibit what they called the Stockdale Paradox. Study after study and leaders from Churchill to Joseph to David to Moses all exhibited this quality. In every case, they re we would respond with this powerful psychological duality. On the one hand, 
They accepted the brutal facts of reality. On the other hand, they would maintain an unwavering faith in the end game and a commitment to prevail despite the brutal facts. See, last week's sermon, I talked about uh, decisions under pressure. We looked at the life of Joseph. But today I'm going to talk about a different type of pressure. See, David had some varying, uh, Joseph had some various de- daring degrees of pressure, but we chose to focus on Potiphar's uh, wife uh, who seduced him. And that was uh, uh, for a short period of time. But the kind of pressure I want to talk about today is the pressure that doesn't seem to have an end. That ailment, that pain that you, you continually face day after day after day. Or that person you've been praying for year after year after year who have uh, never changed. Today I want to talk about pressure for the long view, when you feel like giving up, when you have no hope. How can we make good decisions under this type of pressure? See, people like Stockdale, they uh, uh, survived this type of pressure and not only survived it and got back to normal, but they used that pressure to make themselves better as a defining moment to not just come out of it, but to come out stronger, not just to survive, but to thrive. And he gave this this, uh, secret called the Stockdale Paradox that looks at the mindset of someone going through this constant, sustained pressure. Yes, it's important to have faith, but it's okay not to be okay. Yes, it's important to have faith, but it's okay not to be okay. You see, I come across sometimes Two types of Christians. The type of Christians who's too blessed to be stressed, who's always smiling and, and, and they, all, they got all the good cliches. And if you, if you go to them to talk about your problems, they almost look at you as if you're not a Christian because they're, they're, they're always thinking from that optimistic point of view, which is important. The Bible talks a lot about that. But did you know there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations where all they do is complain? There is room for both. In fact, both is necessary for survival. To be able to go to God with your problems. To be, he understands and he, he's not afraid for you to go and tell him, I feel abandoned. I, I, I feel discouraged. I feel lost. I feel like I want to walk away. I feel like I'm at my wits. And how long, oh God, will this last? How many of you have ever been in this situation where you felt like you would never get out of it? That you were being tortured year after year, day after day, moment after moment. Today I want to share with you from the life of David how we could make decisions under pressure for the long view. When I studied the life of David, I came away with uh, four types of decisions. There's, 
and mind frames that we can have when we make decisions. I'm not going to cover all today, but I'm going to list them. The first one is purposeful decisions. Purposeful decision says this, in view of God's call on my life, what God called you to do, does this decision bring me closer to his will or further away? Spiritual decisions, which is what we're going to talk about today, is any type of decision where what you are facing is bigger than you. You could not solve it in the physical or the natural. Doctors has give, given up. You don't have the power to do it. So you need to reach out to God to help you through that. Spiritual. You need spiritual intervention. The question that we focus on during spiritual decisions is, in view of my weakness, Holy Spirit in me, for me, and through me, because what I'm facing is bigger than me. I'm going to say that again. In view of my weakness, Holy Spirit, speak in me, for me, and through me, because what I am facing is bigger than me. Then we have generational decisions. In view of my past, what is God calling me to build or strengthen that won't be erased when I am gone. And finally, we have eternal decisions. Hopefully, all of us have made that decisions to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives. And some decisions that we make are not just going to affect the next generations, but where we spend eternity. So today I want to focus on the life of David. And he, uh, there's a lot of uh, scripture and areas where I can focus on. But we're going to talk today about David when he was in the cave at Adullam. Uh, David was anointed to be king when he was about, scholars say, 15 years old. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel, but, and so he realized, okay, my purpose in life, my anointing in life is that I am called to be king. But he did not become king till 15 years later when he was 30 years old. For 15 years, Dave, in between his purpose purposeful decision and, and anointing, understand that he's called to be king to when he actually became king, David spent eight of those years under extreme, daily, unrelenting pressure. You see, the current king, Saul, became jealous of David. And even though David was sent into Saul's life to be a blessing to Saul. He won victories for Saul, beating Goliath. He was eventually hired to work in the palace and, and play the harp when Saul felt tormented by evil spirit. And, and, and when David would play the harp, the Bible says that Saul would find peace and relief from his pain. 
But Saul got so jealous of David that he began to uh, see him as a threat to his throne. And at one point when David was playing the harp, Saul threw a javelin at him and barely missed him. Imagine your boss throwing a javelin at you when you're doing your job, right? So this began to become the, the beginning of David's persecuted life. So imagine a teenager anointed as king at 15, and then he defeats a giant. The Bible says that the girls were singing, David slays his, Saul has slayed his thousands, and David slays his ten thousands. They had YouTube music videos about him. And he was living the life. And, and then on top of that, the king, the current king, takes David and says, hey, why don't you work in the palace? I, I just imagine young David walking into the palace and, and, and saying, wow, that's right. I'm going to sit there one day. I'm anointed. God probably allowed me to work in this palace so I could learn from Saul and, 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 and I could start to practice my leadership style and great poupon or, or whatever they ate back in those days. Um, so I, I just would imagine the excitement that uh, David felt to, to be advancing, suddenly to have his dreams questioned by a javelin barely missing his head. So this starts the beginning of David's long, intense persecution. And um, throughout his time working at the palace, David made some friends. Saul's son, typically the, the, the heir to the, the king, would go to uh, the child but God's hands was so on David that even his son, Saul's son, Jonathan, recognized that David was the one to be king, and they became best friends and allies. But to make a long story short, David be, uh, Saul begins to chase David, and this is the chapter that I want to focus on with you here, Psalms 142. Psalms 142. This is a psalm, a prayer, that was written by David while he was on the run. He went to a cave called Adalim, which means re re refuge, a place of refuge. But let me just give a little bit of context before he gets to this prayer. He finds out that Saul wants to kill him. One of the most powerful armies of that time is looking for him. They're after him. He can't go home to his family. He can't, he, 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 he can't go anywhere, so he's on the run. He goes from anointed as king to now being fugitive. And he is in this cave, and this is the prayer that David says. I cry out to you, the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy in the cave. I pour out my complaints before him and I tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. 
Wherever I go, my enemies have set up traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. David's abandoned. He has no help. He has no hope. And he's a fugitive. For nothing he did, he did nothing to deserve this treatment. And David's praying to God, and the Bible says that David complains. David's not okay here. And when we are under a moment of sustained pressure, where the word that God spoke to you about what would happen in your life doesn't match up with your reality, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say, God, I feel like giving up. You called me to this place, but yet I don't have the finances to sustain myself. You called me to this place, and now, now my kids are, 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 are being, uh, 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 facing spiritual warfare, and, and they're being persecuted. It doesn't make sense. And David speaks to God honestly. He gives God the brutal facts of his feelings, of his emotions. Verse 4, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then, then, ooh, how many people are grateful for the thens? Amen. Then I pray to you, O Lord. You see, when you are in a position where you have to make a decision under pressure, if you are not practicing a sustained life rooted in prayer, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to see this right now. I'm setting this up for the decision that David had to make and how this moment, I believe this moment of prayer helped him make a God decision instead of a man decision under pressure. He says, then I pray to you, O Lord. There goes that duality. It's a shift from brutal facts to unwavering, unrelenting belief in God that you're going to make it despite what you're facing. Then I pray to you, O Lord, I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can Thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. This powerful psychological duality is almost as if this text and this prayer is not by the same person. From no hope, abandon, discourage, to you are good to me? 
this type of approach to surviving persecution and difficult times is going to allow us to be in tune with what God has for us. It's going to allow us to see past the natural and into the supernatural. It's going to give us eyes and a heart of what God wants that's tuned to the will of God. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. This is the crux and the result of David's prayer life. Throughout the books of Samuel, and I don't have time to go through it with you, so when you have a chance, you can read through 1 Samuel 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. I just summarized it for you. And, uh, and 25. The Bible continues to say, and God was with David. And God was with David. Similar to how he said with Joseph, and God was with Joseph. Oh, he was in a pit? He got thrown in a pit? Oh, and God was with Joseph. We learned that last week. But this week, we see that God was with David. And I believe that God was with David because David was always with God. He was, the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And it's important for us as Christians in moments of sustained pressure. Remember, we talked about spiritual decisions. Spiritual decisions says, in view of my weakness, Holy Spirit, speak in me, for me, and through me, because what I am facing is bigger than me. You see, when we do that, we set up the battlefield to be totally uneven in the spiritual realm. You look like you're crazy and you're losing in the physical realm to everyone around you. But in the spiritual realm, you inactivate the powerful heaven's armies on your behalf. Man, God smiles upon the person who is under sustained pressure, who says, Lord, I will lift my eyes to the hills, for with cometh my help. God smiles down at the person who is under sustained pressure, who says in Psalm 27, like, like David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. That kind of faith intertwined with reality only comes through prayer. Prayer, honest prayer. And what I find is that Christians tend to fall into two separate camps. They, they either have so much faith and they deny reality, or they have no faith and they complain all the time. Too much faith, as if that was a thing, but so much faith, but denying reality. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But they're not okay. 
speak it, speak it, speak it into existence, but, but, but no results. And another Christian who's, who's constantly just complaining all the time, but no faith. And we see through the life of David that if we are going to not just survive, but thrive through sustained pressure and adversity, we need and it's okay to have both. So David is in this cave and he's having this prayer. That's what this psalm title says. In Psalm 142, it says, David in the cave at Adullam. So we skip back into 1 Samuel 24, and I'm going to summarize and bring you up to speed as to where David is at. So in chapter uh, 22 and 23, David is in this cave, and he's, he does this prayer, and God starts to send David some people, some support. And some of you might be thinking, wow, what a great God. Praise God. He sent him some people to help him. But God doesn't send him SEAL Team 6. The Bible says he begins to send David rejects. The Bible literally says that he sends him people who were also abandoned, people who were also uh, in debt, people who also had nowhere to go and rejected by society. So soon 20 became 100 and 100 became 200 and 300. And finally, God begins to bring David, a 400-man reject army that David trains to begin to face the persecution that he's facing from Saul. And so David now has a group of people that is behind him and supporting him. And this leads to verse 24. David's, uh, Saul's army has 3,000 elite troops. And they are at the other side of the mountain, and uh, David is in the cave of Adullam, and Saul is on the pursuit. Finally, Saul is tired, and he's getting close to David, and he says, you know what? I need to rest. So he decides he wants to relieve himself, as the Bible says, and he goes into the cave to sleep. But what he does not know is that when he walks into that cave alone and his army's outside and he's sleeping inside alone, that David and his 400 men are in the innermost part of the cave. And this is where we get to uh, verse 3. At the place where the road passes the sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Verse 4. This is what David's men say. 
Now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, Today, the Lord is, 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 is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So this is a different kind of pressure. See, David is about to make a purposeful decision in the midst of a spiritual decision because he already knew his purpose was to be king. But his spiritual, his decision wasn't rooted necessarily in the natural. There's not a person who wouldn't look at this situation and say what David's men said. Who, who writes it any better? God anoints you king. The current king hates you. Starts throwing javelins at you. Threatens to kill you. Sends 3,000 men to trace you down in a cave. You have 400 men that are rejects, but you also have God on your side. And that king just happens to walk in and sleep in that very cave where you happen to be in the very backside of. Isn't this God's will now, David? Go. Handle your business. Take the king's life. Paul has to make, David has to make a decision under pressure. And we're going to see what happens. So David crept forward, verse 4, 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. This is the verse I want to focus on. But then David's conscience began bothering him. But David's conscience began bothering him. If you don't get anything from this sermon, I want you to get this. When you're making a spiritual decision, you're facing something that's bigger than you. Therefore, you need spiritual intervention to face it. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension. See, when you're prayed up and you're giving everything to God, many times we, when we're under pressure, we tend to take things into our own hands and make our own decisions. And sometimes we even confuse it for the voice of God. But because David was in tune and prayed up, and he was in a position of no hope, and he already submitted that to God. We see that in Psalm 142, when he's in the cave, and, he, and he's telling God how he feels. But then he's saying, no, 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 in spite of how I feel, unwavering faith, God, I put my hope in you. See, that set up David to be in tune with God, so that when it was time to make a decision, he would make not a man decision, not a good decision, but a God decision. See, when David chose to cut a piece of Saul's robe, even the cutting of that robe, the Bible says, bothered David's conscience. Have you ever been in a position where something looked good? Maybe it was in the form of a shiny new lease for a car that didn't work out so good. But then you got that feeling in your stomach 
that uh, just don't feel right. But you went ahead anyway. And that feeling you realized later was the Holy Spirit trying to hold you back from a bad decision. Pay attention to the tension. See, God's, when God's spirit is upon us and we submit our, our will for his will and we submit our ways for his ways and we submit to him, we say, God, I trust in you. It's not the time for us to take things into our own hands, but to really trust in him. There was no guarantee that David would ever be king. There was no guarantee that if he didn't take this chance, that David would come back, I mean, Saul would come back and kill him later. He didn't know that just four or five chapters later, the Philistines were going to take care of Saul for him. But he chose to leave it in God's hands instead of put it in his own hands. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I'm going to skip through this a little bit. The title of my sermon says, Decisions Under Pressure. David faced year after year. The Bible says four years. David was on the run from Saul. And during this time, he was presented with a decision to take matters into his own hands. But because he had submitted himself to prayer, he didn't just go on his emotions and his feelings. He submitted those emotions, those feelings to God, and he trusted God with it. He says, God, I feel abandoned. I feel alone. But my hope and my trust is in you. He was able to make a God decision. And this is what happens. Saul wakes up. He goes. He doesn't see David or his men. He leaves the cave. And he ends up going, walking around with his army. Then when he's at a safe enough distance, David comes out. And this is what he says. He says, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, for evil people commit evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. This is David talking to Saul. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or as a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate. Ooh, that must have been so sweet to say. Oh, that moment of total trust in God. 
in the midst of total uncertainty, fear, abandonment. I, I can't imagine. I, I'd love to be able to imagine, although I do not want to be in the cave, uh, <laughs> what it must have been like to just put that full hope and trust in God's hands. And, and, and what makes this so fascinating is, is Paul's response. David says this, he is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back. Is that really you? See, I just, I just skipped this part for the sake of time. But what David did is he, he cut a piece of his robe. He went out and he showed it to Saul. And he says, listen, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I spared your life. Okay. And now you're looking at them, Saul beginning to realize, like, whoa. You are a much better man than me, sir, because I would not have done that. And this is, this is his response. Is that really you, my son David? <laughs> then he began to cry, Mr. Javelin Man himself. And he said to David, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. He made a God decision and even his enemies realized it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power. Unfathomable. May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king. And that kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. This ain't Saul saying this. Totally unprecedented. Verse 21. Now, swear to me by the Lord that when this happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to the stronghold. He went back to the cave. You see, I just have a few notes here for you on spiritual decisions. Spiritual decisions say this, in view of my weakness, Holy Spirit, speak in me, for me, through me, because what I am facing is bigger than me. Man, Paul submitted his weakness. He didn't deny it. He didn't act like it existed, didn't exist. He submitted that to God. He told God, listen, I feel like giving up. I'm at my wit's end. I'm abandoned. I'm alone. And that's okay to go to God and say I'm not okay. It's also okay to remind God of his greatness in the midst of your darkness. Both are necessary 
to not just survive and make good decisions under pressure, but to come out even better. I mean, we could only speculate what would have happened if David would have killed Saul that day. We don't know what would have happened. But what I suspect is that when David was in a season of under pressure, instead of trying to just survive, right, because his life was in danger, or to try to just get back to normal, I just want to go back home. I don't want to be in this cave anymore. So let me just take this into my own hands. I got my army with me. God's clearly with me. Let me just take this into my own hand. I want to go back to normal. So take this. Take, we don't know what would have happened. But he did not just want to survive. He wanted to thrive. And he submitted his will for God's will and had an unwavering faith in the end game and a commitment to prevail despite the brutal facts. So what is it that is bigger than you? The physical you, like a large body is it, or a mountain, a financial debt, a physical ailment, or even a literal army like faced by Stockdale or David. See, those things is not bigger than the spirit at work in and around you. I love in Psalms 27 where he says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then would I be confident. The reason why he's confident is because of he knows the power of his God and his spirit is bigger than that in the natural. What is bigger than the psychological you? Are you experiencing fear, depression, low self-image, lack of peace? All those things is not bigger, those physical things or those psychological things is not bigger than the spirit at work in and around you. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given unto us a spirit of power, spirit of love and a sound mind. Spiritual decisions. Man, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I want to submit whatever comes next, whether it's back to normal or thriving or whatever comes next. I want to submit that to God. I want to submit to him honestly my weaknesses, my fears, my emotions, my ambition, whatever it is that is in me that would cause me to take hold of something prematurely because I'm not spiritually submitting it to God and trusting his word. Man, if God gives his words, you do not have to prove it for him. He will fulfill his word. All you have to do is trust in him. Build a prayer life in the midst of sustained pressure. And he will make even your enemies acknowledge his greatness. Buy your heads with me as I pray. John, you can come. Father, we thank you for this amazing word that you've given us. God, we thank you that you can help us learn from the life of Joseph and the life of David how to make decisions under pressure. 
God, I pray for those in this room today that, or even online who have not yet made the best decision they could make, the eternal decision. Where will they spend eternity? Your word says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago, God, when you were uh, hung on a cross, you had us in mind. You were thinking of the long view that someday in 2021, somebody would hear about my love for them and decide to make an eternal decision to put their hope and trust in Jesus. So we thank you for that tonight, today. We pray that you would help us today to be grateful for your love for us. As we celebrate communion and sing and worship you, we submit our hearts and our minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.